0: We're recording. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But before we, uh, we get there, the, the, the big idea of the, the lesson today, the take home, is that God gives grace when his answer is no. Amen. God gives grace when his answer is no. Now, as I believe Geo talked about last week one of the most frustrating things about believing in God, believing in that statement that God gives grace. Even when he says no, it's challenging to believe that when God seems to be, you know, inattentive, uncooperative, even late. When he's not there. Obviously, you might be feeling that God was a bit late a few days ago. And there are the things that can make it even worse, though, the, not just the, the internal battle that we feel, but then when you have guys like myself get up and preach, and we make it sound so easy, well, just, just believe. You know, you just got to believe there was something, God was in control, that, that doesn't always... Soothe the pain, does it? It only intensifies the tension. Or they, they might even blame you that if there's something going on in your life that you just didn't have enough faith. Or even take it to a deeper level. Sometimes this isn't just a preacher's part. This is all of us as a family. We can be notorious for blaming sin for tragedy in your life. And I'm sure someone will try to blame what happened in Connecticut as somebody's sin. And it, but that only intensifies the tension that we feel you look around and you see other people though that seem to be they go unscathed through life they never seem to have any problem they whatever they pray or don't pray for they get it and that just fuels the tension inside of us and then you start to think well maybe god's just not there for me god's not cooperating uh with me right now my husband isn't changing my wife isn't coming back my i'm not feeling any better i'm still single There's no one on the horizon. My career isn't moving like I'd hoped. My prodigal child is further away than ever. I I can't even get an interview, much less a job. I can't even get a date, much less a mate. And then I believe the one that I think creates the most tension for us today is we can't understand, you can't understand why God would allow 20 innocent children to die. You might be thinking that. Why was God late in stopping what happened? So what do you do? This is what uh, I would call a, a pivotal, pivotal circumstance in your life. It's a, it's a momentary choice to make. Either you can turn towards God or you can turn away from God. Amen. Have, and this is where you're going to have to, to wrestle with today because I think we can all relate to the tension, though. Amen? Yeah. We feel it. But how do we respond? And some people respond, well, there's no God. There, there can't be a God. For that type of evil to exist in this world, there just can't be a God. He w- and, and maybe you believe Him, but now you're struggling because maybe God was late. God's not cooperating. I've been praying and praying for, for evil and suffering in this world to end, and yet it seems to only intensify. There must not be a God. But that that doesn't really follow rational thinking. For us to think that... Um, that God doesn't exist, if God's not cooperating, then that proves that my kids don't exist. My children are very uncooperative at times. My, my children might say, "When, Dad, can we, uh, can we stop off and get something to eat on the way home today at the, uh, where you said there were the greatest milkshakes in the world? And I say no. They might say, well, I don't believe in Dad. Dad's not cooperating. God's lack of cooperation is not a reason to argue for his existence. I think in times like this, when we feel that God is uncooperative, God is really showing himself in his greatest power. And I really believe, and I I just have to say on a side note, this is why you as a family here, I could just talk to to the family, the disciples for a moment. You are so important. In God's scheme to stop, maybe not stop all of this from happening, but you are the answer to the pain that is going on right now. And that's why we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. There is something greater. It could happen in Cuneo Valley. It could happen in the San Fernando Valley. It could happen in Las Vegas. But that's why God has people on this earth. You don't just get saved and whisked off to heaven. God keeps you here. I'm getting off topic a bit, but I feel that that is such an important argument to be made for his family. And that's why you have to live as such. Because we live in a dark world. And if God condemned your light, then people who are suffering right now will never see it. And believe you me, the ripple effect of what happened in Connecticut is all the way over here to this side of the coast. People are wrestling. I appreciate the the raw emotion today. I assume you're a teacher. You know, I mean, there are people that need answers. Thank God that man who can go to school, uh, you know, and, and, and testify. He does have answers. Now, some of us, though... We say, well, there is no God, but we really, that's just not a good argument. Some may try to faith God, faith God into changing his mind, okay? You may have come from a church background where you were taught that enough faith would force God to do what you wanted, okay? You know, people will say, well, I've got a big house, I believe in God, you can believe in God and have a big house too, that, but faith isn't a lasso. It's not a a way of lassoing God to submit to our will. Okay, we're gonna learn about that today. Faith is not a lasso that we get to put around God's neck. I mean, we're talking about God here today, folks. Okay? We're the ones that should be submitting to his will. But I don't want God I don't want it be God, God to be that small that he's manipulated by my faith. I want God to be moved, but I want my faith to be moved by his love. And there's a lot of us that trust in in many things that people say. And this is why, uh, and I found this line here in this lesson, it talks about never trust a prosperity preacher who reads who uh, with reading glasses or a security tail, I would add, with uh, a BMW or French cuffs. You don't want to put your faith, and the point of that is you don't want to put your faith in men. Our faith is not uh, driven by what people say. Our faith is driven by the word of God. But see, what do we do, though, when God seems to be uncooperative? when I'm crying out for a yes and all I get is a no I've been there I've cried out to God in my own personal life my wife and I we cried out for children we couldn't have them I mean we cried and we begged and then we were given the opportunity one day to bring a child home we went out to Magic Mountain with the staff in the north region only to find out that that child was not going to be ours and, and you could, we felt the disappointment the heartbreak We've been crying out to God. God, we we, we want this child. So, But see, that tension that we feel with God, I want to invite you to just embrace it. Too many times we push it away that it's not really there. Try to push it under the rug, but that only fuels bitterness, mistrust. But when we allow ourselves to feel that tension and then find an example in the Bible, we can find comfort. We can find the ability to move forward in a relationship with God, follow Him, even when he says no. Can you relate? I believe uh, the story of Paul in 2 Corinthians is absolutely one of the best lessons for you and I to read today about a man that we would, we would think that God would have said yes to. I mean, after all, this is someone that when God said, come, you know, follow me, Paul did it. I mean, Paul absolutely did everything in his way that he could to serve God and to please God. And yet, when it came down to the wire, when Paul was asking for a yes, he was given a no. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Wish I could see all of you, but these, uh, these lights, they are bright. Now just a little background as you're turning there Paul was converted after the resurrection around 33 three a d between thirty three and thirty six this man left everything everything to follow Jesus Christ fame security family friends everything and he went for a long i mean imagine not having any friends going from everybody wanting to be around you you're the next up and coming guy and then all of a sudden now you have nobody how would you feel this is but this is this is the life of paul and Paul then, then went even further. He was willing to take on the entire known world at that time as his mission field. And for 20 years, he traveled around planning churches in the name of Christ, and he suffered for it. And after becoming a disciple, though, something happened to Paul. Now, this is where the tension comes in. He says yes to God, and then he enters into this relationship with God as his disciple, and suddenly something devastating happens. Now, we don't like the idea of devastating in our life, do we? Not a, not a good idea. That doesn't make us feel very well. But Paul gives everything to God and then something devastating comes in Paul's life and it causes Paul to begin to beg God to take it away, to change it. Now, do you think Paul had a lot of faith? I mean, Paul, to go from being a, a man that just believed in God and then to follow Jesus Christ, he had a lot of faith. He healed people. Paul had that type of perfect faith that was willing to follow God anywhere. But the, now the challenge though for Paul right here in his story, could he continue to follow God when he asked for a yes and God said no? You with me? There's this pivotal pivotal circumstance in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start reading in verse 7. Actually, in verse 7, correct. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times. Three times I pleaded. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, this is a, Paul here is living out this story of his life for the the Corinthians to to gaze upon. And Paul's kind of recounting in his life what's been going on. And there was this, you know, there's this phrase that I hear people quote this passage a lot. They talk about the thorn in their life. And that thorn could be a a husband. It It could be a boss. It could be the wife. Hey, look, you know what? You know what I appreciate about Gio is this is where Gio is at his best. He's very real about the thorns in his life. We're thorny people. <laughs> you know we're not. If you're again, you're joining us here today. Don't let me just reassure you. None of us can walk on water. We all sink the same way. You're amongst you're you're safe amongst people. We have thorns in our lives, and they hurt. They're not comfortable. They cost. We even feel the tension. We the thorns that we feel that weren't even they weren't even ours. We feel that tension. So I'm glad we talked about it today. Again, I just want to commend the realness here today to be able to talk about the thorns. Because that thorn, is a, it's what it really is, is a constant irritation, a problem in our lives. And torment, what that means in the Greek was to be struck with your fist, to be beat up. That's the kind of, that's the kind of torment that Paul endured day after day after day. And it could have been many different things. People thought it was epilepsy, depression, headaches. I mean, it was malaria, amongst other things that they thought Paul had. But whatever they were, that thorn. How many times did Paul plead for that thorn to be taken away? Three times. This wasn't a casual ask. I pleaded for the Lord three times to take it away. It wasn't a casual, well, God, please, I hope you do. And this is begging God. This hurts. I'm struggling now. I have said yes to you all my life. (coughs) I've said yes, and I think you can relate. I thought the Christian life was going to be a cakewalk. I saw the family grow to 600, and all of a sudden it dropped. That happens. My job's not going the way that it should. Paul, You and I can relate to Paul. Because Paul had been doing everything that God had said. It was yes, after yes, after yes. And then in the moment, he's pleading for God to help him. And he gets a no. What would you do? See, I know a lot of us, Paul didn't have the the sanctuary on Sunday to show up to and feel good about. Paul's church was every day, every day, suffering for Christ. Christ. See, what happens to us is we show up to the Sunday morning ex- church experience and we feel good about ourselves. And then Monday through Saturday, our life is just as pagan as it was before. See, God's not looking just for the two hours from you on Sunday morning. What God is looking for in the midst of what you, even even as, as you saw today, the, the hurt and the suffering, God's looking now for your Christianity. You're following Jesus to be taken up every day, 24-7. It's a devoted life. But what do you do like Paul, who had done that, and then some, and he's still hurting, and he's crying out with intensity in his prayer, God, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And he says to him, no. Wow. This is where, you know, in that pivotal circumstance, is grace truly sufficient? Is the grace and the love of God enough? I think about David running. Young King David running for his life. Beckons, destined to be king. And then he's hiding in a cave and he cries out in Psalm 63, God, your love is better than life. He's not even king. He's being pursued to be killed. And he's crying out, God, your love is better than life. Which beckons the question, in this tension, Paul, you, me, Is God's grace and His love enough? Is it enough to power you beyond a sermon at 1230 on Sunday morning and continue to spur inside of you a fire that says, I will serve you, I will follow you, and even when I cry out for a yes and you say no, I will not stop. God, because your grace is sufficient. Because here's what happens. When the grace of God, when the love of God is enough when it's sufficient to overcome the pain and the heartbreak that we see in this world, when you're comforted by that, then what happens is is God's power is made perfect through our weakness. Again, look at verse 8. Three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Made perfect. What that means is it's brought to the full measure. What God is saying, I'm going to remove this weakness, but I'm also going to give you the power to keep going in spite of this weakness. I'm giving you enduring grace, the power of grace to endure in your life. And why this is so important to you and I is when, and I know we've all had those yes prayers, have we not? We've all had those yes prayers and they've come back no. And yet, what God is looking for is to give you something. He's not just saying no, a parent does that. I mean, I, I love my children. Daddy, I want Star Wars. Okay, no, but I'll get you something else. And then in they're, their torment, they're like, that's not, you're not loving me. But God is so much, He's so much greater, and, and He's so good compared to me. When God gives you the grace to endure, the power and to do it to endure, in that moment of weakness, we find the ability to take the next step. We don't get defeated by what Satan has intended to defeat you. Amen. Looking back as a family, there shouldn't be anything that should stop us from taking that next step of faith. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't even care about the career, your education. All those things matter not to God. They shouldn't matter to us. What really matters to God is that when he, when he says no, He gives us the grace, the power to continue to move forward. Amen. The question is, when God seems to be uncooperative in your life, when you cry out for a yes and He says no, but then instead gives you grace is that enough to give you the power to take the next step without somebody pushing you along? I saw a man yesterday on TV actually it was last night one of his children was killed she represents one of the crosses I have a feeling that that man is going to do something great I have a feeling that that man is going to let his life be used not in defeat and tragedy but he's going to rise up And he's going to let his life count for his daughter. And go forward and do something great. What about you? What's stopping you? There could be, and what's the thorn? I don't know. But I implore you. That if Paul, who had lived his entire life yes to God. And then in a moment of desperate need is told no. No. We know that Paul wasn't defeated at that moment. He kept going. He endured. The grace of God gave him the power to continue to move forward. So there's a couple things that we learn here. Are you ready? A couple practicals here for us. Okay? We have the permission to ask God to remove our thorns. A little bit of homework for you today. I'd like you to read Hebrews chapter 4.16 when you go home today and remind yourself. That you do have the permission to approach God in your time of need. And what you can approach is not this throne of judgment and wrath and condemnation. It's the throne of mercy. And in your time of need, you can approach God and ask for permission to remove your thorns. But the thorn might not be removed. You might need that thorn. Because one of the greatest gifts about approaching the throne of grace is not to get the thorn removed. It's to be able to Walk into the fullness and the love of God. We have the permission to go to God. And that in and of itself, is not the thorn being removed, but it's having that time, that intimacy with God that we can approach Him and find comfort in His love. But God does have something though on His part. He has the permission to say no. He has the permission to say no. This is a point, though, sometimes where when God says no, that sometimes our faith needs to say yes. What do I mean by that? That means, God, I trust you. I believe and I trust that your faith, that my faith will endure because when, God, you say no, this moment of faith, it's about a moment of faith versus a a lifetime of faith. That what I have right now, God, I, I'm trusting that in that relationship, God, that you know best. That you understand. You have a way, Father, to make turn that evil into good. I can't see it. I can't see it. And you know what? It's tough. 3,000 miles away. But when I lived in Colorado, when Columbine happened, I knew. I knew that God's people needed to rise up. Because sometimes God says no so that your faith, not just in the moment, but in the, life, the lifetime, God can take you and use you to comfort somebody else. Amen. What happens if this comes to the Canejo Valley? What if it comes to Vegas? I know everybody thinks Vegas is, a, is just the, the worst place on the planet. And, and I want to just encourage you, if you come visit, don't stay at the Strip. All right? But I'll tell you what, Las Vegas and the Conejo Valley, and I know I've lived in both, they share a common need the forgiveness of God. Sometimes when God is saying no, what I'm I'm driving at is God may choose to showcase His power on the stage of your weakness. Because you know what I hate? Being Being an evangelist, is people put more faith in me and my power than they do God. And what I say back home, let God be true and let every man be a liar. Because in my weaknesses, and you know what? you and I don't stand up here trying to prove to you that we can walk on water. Amen. We're trying to say yes to God in every area of our lives and spur you on to do the same. Amen. But we're weak. We get in fights with our wives. Get impatient on the soccer field. Get mad at you, you get mad at me. Hey, we're family. We're weak, right? But see what's happening in that moment of weakness? God's not looking for the, the three-piece suit, right? Got it all together. I don't really need God, I drive the car, I got the life, I've got the money. Hey, I talk a good game, but in the moment of weakness, the people looking in, when they see the tears, they see the heartbreak, they see the pain, they see the realness of the suffering of Christ in our lives, our weakness, that God has a stage to show his power through you. You take 90, I would take 98 disciples of Jesus and bet my entire paycheck that God could do immeasurably more than through 5,000 people that don't really need Him, except for two hours on Sunday. What God wants is 98 weak people that are crying out to Him, not Sunday for two hours, not on a Tuesday midweek, but coming together Monday through Friday, and then on Sunday, the overflow Of that love and that weakness, crying out together, praising God all week long. That God used our weak lives as a showcase for His power and His glory. What would impress you more? We get all wrapped up in how people look in a suit and tie. That doesn't mean anything to God. Just ask how Jesus felt about the Pharisees and how they dressed. What really impresses God and moves people (coughs) is to see weak people And the miracle of grace in their lives. I remind you that Jesus came in the fullness of truth. And the fullness of grace. We know the fullness of truth. But I would challenge you just like Vegas. We're struggling to understand the fullness of grace. Where the evangelist can stand up and be weak. And not have a line of people at the door saying hey we got to talk to you about that. You know what I tell people. I'm weak just like you. I need the grace of God. And you know what? I want God to showcase himself. The difference moving forward is that God can showcase himself and people can experience that grace because here's what we're doing. We're not resisting his will. You see, what grace does, when Paul cried out, yes, please take this thorn away, and Jesus said, no. What Paul then was able to do was to continue to surrender to his will. See, in that pivotal circumstance, what happens is, you know, we'll show up to church on Sunday, but what we do is, I'm not going to submit to your will anymore. I'll show up. Hey, I'll go check out other churches. I'll jump around, that type of thing. You know what? We'll play the game. But I'm not submitting. God doesn't care about the location. He cares about the location of your heart. And when we surrender... We're submitting to his will. To resist his will is to resist his grace. If you've been unwilling to accept no for an answer, then you're struggling to deal with the situation because of your own strength. That's called surviving. God wants you to strive. God wants you to move forward. God wants you to to endure being sustained by his grace then begins like this. When you walk home today, or drive home today, and you're thinking about it, then how you are sustained by grace, it begins like this, not my will, but your will be done. I, you know what, God? And that's, that's easier said than done. Because again, there are, there are parents right now that these crosses represent, that I tell you the truth, to forgive the shooter. Let's talk about it right now. You ready? Yeah. You want to talk about tension? Yeah. The kingdom of God, beckoning heaven to come down to earth. It's a challenge. When you think about the shooter, you know what? I feel it too. I feel hate. I'll be the first. to I'll be, It's a thorn. I want to hate him. I want to give up. I, I told Julie. I called Delano on the way over here in tears on, on Friday, crying out to God. I said, sometimes I'm starting to lose my faith. And it was a weak moment for me. And I had to be directed back, don't lose your faith. It wasn't God's fault. He didn't want this to happen. It's just the manifestation of humans living out my will be done. We have an opportunity right now to come together as an entire family at the foot of the cross. The Garcias and all of us together at the foot of the cross as disciples saying, you know what, I don't get it, I don't understand, it hurts, it makes me mad, but your will be done. Yeah. If I am called, if I have been forgiven much, then you know what, somehow I've got to find a way to forgive. Yeah. Why let the shock wave of what happened in Connecticut ripple over here and take away God, your will be done because you get bitter and angry about a man who went south. Mm -hmm. I challenge you today. You need the grace of God just as much as he did. He turned away from it. He did something that is unimaginable. I I couldn't imagine. And I'm speaking from one. If someone did that to my kids, I don't know what I could do. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just staying on the front end. I feel hatred for him. I hate him. I hate him. And I'm fighting to get to a place of forgive. We do it with people in politics. We do it all the time, right? It's not just a man who does something that anus. But my point that I'd like to close with here is I appeal to you that when God seems uncooperative and you're begging for a yes and he says no because in that moment of weakness he really believes. God really believes that his power will be manifested in ways that the world will be in awe of one thing. Your faith When it expresses itself through love and it says this, God, I'm hurting, but your will be done. God, you keep saying no, amen, your will be done. Because Jesus himself, when he cried out three times for a yes, God said no to give you and I a chance, not only to be forgiven, but to help those people find healing. Family, I love you so much. I want to thank you for your your time together today. I pray for you, and I look forward to seeing you when you come back again. God bless you.